0: Eric, could you read Acts 13, 9 through 18, please, for us? There's a mic there in front of you. 9 through 18. Acts 13.
1: It says, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord and now behold the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead them, lead him by the hand then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord okay now, Paul, go ahead start, oh, I'm sorry one more verse verse 13 It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia,
0: and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Okay, we'll uh, we'll see if we get any further than that. Let's start with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word and that we can know the truth and know the gospel. Help us understand what you have said once for all to us in your word and apply it and obey it by your grace. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Okay, let's go to verse 9 and 10 of Acts 13. Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, Who are you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Now this was spoken to this Bar-Jesus that we talked about the last time that I taught Sunday school. And there was a play on words going on there. Bar-Jesus, which would mean son of Yeshua, was actually son of the devil. Okay, He was, uh, op- he was opposed to the gospel. It was uh, thwarting the ways of the Lord. So we had here an evil prophet who was false who had opposed the word of God. And he was trying to turn uh, those who heard the gospel away from the gospel. And I, I talked about that last time. De Trefo, to turn, is also used in the Bible for to be converted. So the gospel will turn people from darkness to light, but false teachers will turn them from the gospel to the devil. Okay, so that was a a play on words. And so this guy may have been a court astrologer. We'll see as we go along here. That's not necessarily true, but he was an occultist. And we'll see as we go through Acts, we've already seen it with Simon the Sorcerer, that there are conflicts between the true gospel of Jesus Christ and occultism and magic and evil supernatural things that were going on in that part of the world. And interestingly, that's exactly the way it is today. There's an uptick on occultism. Uh, I saw a thing on One of the news channels saying that a while back that the Vatican is going to be training people in the Roman church to do exorcism. Yep, Yep. Yep. and uh, I just, in fact, got an email from somebody. I have to respond to it because it's going to take a long time. This person doesn't know anything about Christ, but had been afflicted by the devils, the demons. And went to, to the Roman Catholic Church, and they said that she had to get psychiatric treatment first, and then they decided they'd turn, their, turn her over to the exorcists. Of, evidently, they have some. So, what I do, by the way, when I receive these emails, is that's my way of preaching the gospel. What I tell everyone is that the only way to truly get free is to turn from darkness to light to the dominion of Satan to God. And that the way God delivers us is not by interacting with this spirit and that spirit, but by taking the whole person out of the kingdom of darkness. Now, the irony is, if they go to the Catholic exorcist and stay in the Roman church, they're still in darkness no matter what happens. Because they have no way out because they don't believe the gospel. So, it says Saul, who is also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I, excuse me, I highlighted that because one of the things I'm wanting to do besides teach you what these passages mean, which is certainly my primary job, but I'm also wanting to teach the whole church how to read and to understand how biblical authors Tell us what's going on. And when you're reading narrative, okay, the biblical author will give clues as to, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened. But how do we? How are we supposed to know what's good and what's bad? Now, this is a pretty simple one, but sometimes when you're reading, especially like Samuel in the Old Testament, it's not always easy to know what's good and what's bad. So Luke, what are the themes in Luke-Acts, is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, they speak the mighty words of God. And that's all the way through, from when Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came on him, and when you have Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, now most people uh, Focus on the tongues, because various interpretations of that have been given in church history, including the Pentecostal one. But interestingly, what did Luke tell us about what they were saying in all these different languages? Eric, do you remember? (laughs) So we have more than just me here. Yeah, they were giving the gospel. Yeah, the mighty deeds of God. Yeah, Amen. They were speaking forth the mighty deeds of God. So if you're reading Luke Acts, okay, and you want to see how the narrator, Luke, is telling us what's good, one of the things would be, not always, but he has other ways of doing it, by saying the Holy Spirit came upon somebody and then they say something. It may seem obvious, but not everybody even gets this. Okay, so what they say then, Luke is putting his imprimatur on. This is right. This is true. So the Holy Spirit, Paul, filled with the Spirit, said, you are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? So he's speaking authoritatively for God. He's speaking the truth. He's exposing by the power of the Holy Spirit the lies, the deceit, and the fraud of those, and particularly this particular guy, this Mark Jesus, who's opposing the gospel. So now Paul here again is known as Paul, and as we go forward, he'll always be known as Paul, previously Saul, and he speaks for God. Now we already saw that. Excuse me, in Acts 13, 1 and two, Paul's called a prophet. So he speaks here an oracle of judgment by the Holy Spirit. And the question people have is, well, does God do anything like this today? I just got a bunch of emails yesterday from people who just found our critical issues site, and they, these topics keep coming up. What about the gifts of the spirit? What about this? What about that? What do you believe about it? And, we, and if, if I stay on the earth by God's grace with enough health to preach, when I get done with Ephesians, I'm hoping to go through 1 Corinthians. But who knows how long? Maybe the Lord will come. It will all be gone. But I want to I point something out. The way we judge what is spoken for God is grounded in the person and work of Christ and the truth of the gospel. The Holy Spirit inspires people to confess Christ. And the Holy Spirit inspires us to reject and rebuke attacks against the gospel. So you notice in Acts here, The Holy Spirit comes upon people, they speak about the mighty deeds of God. Or they preach the gospel. What did Peter do after the Holy Spirit came upon him? He got up in front of all these people and preached the truth of Christ. From the scriptures, from what God did, who Christ was, what he did, repentance, forgiveness of sins, all these things that Jesus commissioned them to do. And that's going to go on all through Acts. There's a flip side to that, which is the Holy Spirit comes upon people and they rebuke attacks against the gospel. Now, some people who go to the Power of Positive Thinking School of Christianity uh, don't want that to happen. They suggest that we should only be positive and we shouldn't correct error because somehow God is unhappy if we correct error. And I've been accused of uh, grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit through correcting error. Now, somehow they don't get the idea that the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. God cannot lie. The Holy Spirit inspires the truth. The Holy Spirit inspires the Bible. And... Therefore, whatever is from the Spirit will be true. Okay, And if something is claimed to be from God that is in fact error, then we can rightly say, no, that's wrong. You are opposed to God and say so. The conventions of pagan society can't keep us from doing what Paul just did here. Do you see what I'm talking about? So, Paul is speaking by the Spirit and calling this for what it is. This guy is actually aligned with Satan. Why? How do you know that? Well, Paul was a prophet, according to Acts 13, 1 and 2, as well as an apostle. But he was speaking by the Spirit. So, you're opposing the Gospel. Okay? And... Whatever is opposed to the gospel, whether actively or passively, is opposed to God. The whole point... Eric, uh, Brian would like to make a comment.
2: Uh, Bob, that... Uh, is it on? Uh, that, yeah, uh, you're on. That flip side, the rebuking, to put that into like today's day and age, we see we don't see enough of people who say that they are uh, uh, Christians that do rebuke the false word. That's far and few between. And and I always wonder if it's are are the are they just afraid to do the rebuking, or are they not filled with the Holy Spirit? That would
0: be well. Uh, there may be both yeah. all of the above. Let me. Uh, point out something. I wrote two books about this, one called Undefining Christianity and the other called Redefining Christianity. The culture uh, that we live in rewards what now some people call political correctness. And what they mean by that is you only say what the culture already wants to hear. And if you don't say it right then we don't like you, and we will punish you, and we will silence you. Now, the sad truth is that same thinking has come into the church. And I attribute it in, in the book called Redefining Christianity to the idea that we should survey the society around us and find out what people want to hear when they go to church or if they go to church. And I told you the story of this couple that came to our door saying they're going to start a new church. And I asked if the gospel is going to be preached. And the couple, the the lady who was talking, just the wife said nothing. And she was startled because I'm sure they never heard anybody ask that. And the husband, the pastor, says, no, it won't. They were afraid that uh, I was one of those seekers. They don't want to hear anything about Blood atonement, repentance, forgiveness for sins, heaven and hell. Okay, so if you go and do a survey of religious consumers, they're not ever, I, I can tell you this, I can guarantee it, they're never going to say we would like truth to be taught and error corrected. And we want to hear the truth right from the Bible. That's not what people want. But we know that's what they need. So I would say that Christian leaders are morally obligated by God to preach the truth. And Paul was certainly taking a risk. Now some of the scholars think that this bar Jesus who he rebuked may have been an astrologer who was advising the civil authorities because they often sought guidance from astrologers. I don't know that, although there's some evidence it might be true. The fact is, Paul would be taking a risk by calling this guy a son of the devil who was associated with the proconsul. Okay, whenever we tell the truth, in a society that doesn't want to hear the truth, we're always putting ourselves at risk. And we're not going to be in a position where we're likely to be popular. Does that make sense? And so we have to resist that and believe with all of our hearts that the truth of the gospel is exactly what everyone needs to hear and that what's going to benefit the church the most is that by the power of the Spirit, we proclaim the word, including correcting error. Because that will benefit the body of Christ. We're not here to be popular and loved by the world. Yes, well, Brian. I was just
2: going to say, so uh, pastors are morally obligated to preach the truth. Therefore, are they also morally obligated to rebuke the false. Can, do those go hand in hand? or Because uh, we see pastors, they'll preach the truth, but they won't rebuke the false.
0: Well, the only way they can do that is by um, topical preaching. If you preach verse by verse through the Bible, you won't be able to avoid correcting the false because the Bible does. Let's just say something nice like the Gospel of John. Oh, is that nice? God so loved the world, John three sixteen. So if you're going to be John three sixteen, you go verse by verse. Then you also get later in John three where it says men love darkness rather than light, and this is judgment, and it's all in there. You just got to do it all. But they don't do it all; they skip. Yes.
2: Well, the world mentality—you just kind of nailed it. But the world mentality has been John three sixteen, but it's shifted that was the number one verse that the world went to but it's not anymore the number one verse that people go to who are not christians but more generally of the quasi christian of the world is thou shalt not judge oh, yeah. that yeah oh, don't yeah. judge me and if you go witness to somebody the number one thing they'll come up with is you self righteous blankety blank who are you to judge me you know when you're you're sharing the gospel but that's the mentality out there that Satan, yeah. I think, is really perpetrated is don't judge, don't
0: judge, don't judge. Yeah, okay, judge. That's, a, that's a good comment. Let me address that. Well, here's what we need to know so we don't get intimidated. We aren't setting ourselves up to be the judge, we're proclaiming that God is the judge, and that God has declared the terms of judgment beforehand so we can know what that is. And that if God judged a man who opposed the gospel through Paul and called him full of deceit and fraud and son of the devil, an enemy of all righteousness, that's pretty strong. But that's a true judgment that came from the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying we need to be rude. I'm saying we need to be truthful. And say, this just isn't the way it is. And I know what it's like because I've engaged in debates, public debates, with people I strongly disagree with, like Doug Padgett, Greg Boyd, and so on. I can't do that without telling them what I believe. And knowing that more than, probably more than half the people there, are going to disagree with me. But I'm morally obligated to tell them you can know the truth. God has spoken. We can understand who Christ is. We can have valid categories. We can know the forgiveness of sins through Christ and that opposing Christ is opposing God and will bring someone under the judgment of God. It doesn't have to be popular to be spoken truthfully. And uh, that's not ever going to make us hyper popular, but what does that matter, anyhow? Because the world will be judged. Yes, Luann.
3: I'm just going to be a little transparent and, and add a little twist to the whole mix because Greg and I are just having this conversation um, because of family situations. And knowing, and I don't think I'm the only spouse who thinks their husband comes off gruff sometimes.
0: But <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> I thought it was just, I thought it was just...
3: You know, when you're talking about the political correctness, you know, and women are so much about relationships and trying to keep things smooth... I always, you know, he'll be like just all worked up about how he wants to say this and then I'm like well, you know, maybe it shouldn't come off quite like that. So, I mean so guys have this double whammy of not only the culture telling them you know, you have to be politically correct, but sometimes we've got this, you know, spouse whispering in their ear, remember to sugarcoat it with these words, you know, and it's well, so it kind of okay. becomes, a, you know, a double edged sword for, for them especially well, if you're I, like
0: me. Well, the way you love the gospel, so I'm pretty sure it's not too bad. You know, it's true that uh, wives do mitigate a little of the rough edges. In my case, what my wife does is make sure I'm dressed properly. (laughs) So, uh, but, yeah, how you say it, but it's still the truth. And, see, what we end up finding out is, however you sugarcoat it, it's still the truth, and they still don't like it. And it's never going to change. Yes, Brian?
4: Well, my wife is a little different. She eggs me on. <laughs> <laughs> OK. So most of you know that we're, we're in a group uh, that meets fair, fairly regularly. We've been in it for five years. And it's a mixed group, Pentecostals, Charismatics, Roman Catholics. An emergent uh, me and a Zoroastrian, and when her mom comes, a Buddhist. Okay, so that group is quite, quite, quite the deal. And and one thing, okay, five years. One of the things that I've had to wrestle with over and over are people in the group who, in the guise of being intellectual. Um, philosophical, just wanting to ask questions, they're very blasphemous. Um, One of the ones that sticks in my mind is, is that somebody persisted in asking the question and pressing the point, why didn't God just slap Eve's hand? That's what I would have done with my children. I mean, the blasphemy of it. Yeah. Right? And, and you're sitting there in this group, and it's like everybody is just like the Galatians bearing this blasphemy beautifully. Right?
0: Yeah, bear with it beautifully. And yeah. I'm
4: sitting there about ready to explode. I'm like, you, you don't even deserve that question. I mean, if you're going to be sitting in here in what's called a Bible study, wh- where, wh- what direction are, is your mind even going? And I find myself time and time again having to rebuke these 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 questions that really have no place. They're just they're out of order, they're blasphemous, they they mislead the whole group. And and one of my points was is that this magician is being rebuked by Paul because this guy is taking up Opposition. His motives are all to oppose. Okay? So it's not like we go around hammering everybody that's, uh, that's off on this and off on that. you got to kind of choose your battles. I've learned that. But, you know, when there's a definite direct opposition, yeah. especially like when you're in a Bible study group, that there's, a, there's a point, you can, you can feel the Holy Spirit working up to a point, making a point, and people are right at the point of getting the point, and somebody takes it in a total different direction, right? That's when somebody's got to put the hammer down.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. You know, what's really important is to confess Christ. Uh, if you want to be sure that you're speaking for the Holy Spirit, Confess Christ very very clearly who he is the uniqueness of Christ uh, the sinless life the virgin birth the pre-existence the creator of the universe who came into our world he died for sins he shed his blood he was raised on the third day he's coming again to bring judgment and to just confess that because that we know is a work of the spirit and in the process of doing that, we're rubbing everybody the wrong way. And they're saying, uh, well, I think I mentioned before, many, many years ago, I think it was in the 80s, uh, this Larry King Live used to be on, and he'd bring in religious leaders, and they were all saying the same thing. Many paths lead to God. God is just wants us to be dis- sincere and you can be a sincere Buddhist and a sincere atheist and sincere it's all the same. But he'd also, because probably because they were out in Southern California, he'd bring in John MacArthur. And they'd say, Well, what do you think? Are you saying that everybody besides the type of Christian you're talking about is going to hell? And John MacArthur would say, Yes. yes. Ah, <laughs> no, they just—they'd just, just, all go right through the roof. And the reason he had him on is because he could count on him to tell him the truth of what Christ said. But see, if we don't have a distinct message, are we doing anybody any good? And we—there's nothing wrong with being kind and tactful, but the truth is what causes the reaction. Yes, uh, Peter.
1: Um, just a comment, Pastor Eric had given us uh, an appropriate verse that kind of deals with this issue several weeks ago, and it's Second uh, 2 Timothy 2.24. May I quick read it? Please do. It says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If, it, If... God, perhaps, will grant them repentance,, yeah. so that they may know the truth and that they may come yeah. to the senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive yeah, patiently him, to do teach his will. the
0: truth: Well, let's see what happened here. Let's get back here. So he there's a play on words. I want to point this out that's in the Greek. There's, there's a lot of cool irony. Luke is an amazing writer. Honestly, I love reading Luke, Acts. And so there's this word full here. See, Um, full of all deceit and fraud. In the Greek, the word full is place theus, place theus, having been filled. No, excuse me. Fraud is (coughs) play race. Paul is full. Let me start this over. Paul filled with the spirit. That word full, place theus, uh, then he rebukes the false teacher, full of deceit, uh, play, <coughs> play race. So play say yes, play race. So there's two times the word for full is used. One is full of the spirit, the other is full of deceit. So there's a very strong contrast going on here that Luke wants us to see. The word fraud here could be translated unscrupulousness, and it has to do with wicked schemes and plots. Crooked and straight are making an echo. Remember Luke Acts, two-volume work? Uh, When John the Baptist came on the scene, crooked and straight came up in the context of John the Baptist and citing Isaiah in Luke 3, starting with verse 4. As it is written in the book, of the words of Isaiah the prophet the voice of one crying in the wilderness make ready the way of the Lord make his paths straight every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill brought low the crooked will become straight and the rough road smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God John the Baptist applies this prophecy from Isaiah to Jesus the Christ so the same idea comes up later in this two-volume work. So here's somebody who prefers the crooked and the rough to the straight. The straight paths of the Lord are found in Jesus Christ. The crooked and the rough are found in fraud, deceit, and sin. So there's irony here. There's even further irony. Paul discloses the real identity of this Bar Jesus son of Jesus, to be in truth the son of the devil. Many, what did Jesus say? Many will come in my name. Many will come in my name. But they're false. Not everything that purports to be Christian is. Not everybody who claims to speak for God does. And being discerning is not quenching the spirit. Don't buy that. I've been accused of that for a long, long time. You're quenching the spirit. As if the spirit wanted people speaking air. The spirit's unhappy because somebody corrected air. Why would the spirit of truth not want air to be corrected? It doesn't make any sense, does it? So, this is what we're learning. Now, let's look at why, uh, what happened here and why this was important in the context of what God was doing here in this situation. Acts 13, 11 and 12. Now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. This is Paul speaking as a prophet. And you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. Now, it turns out this is a sign that God was going to use to witness to this proconsul, Okay? And immediately, a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. So he was groping around, blinded, as a judgment of God. Now, it said for a time. But the consequence, I think, that Luke wants to emphasize, is what happens. Then... The proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. God used Paul's word of rebuke, bringing judgment visibly and immediately upon this bar Jesus, in order to convert the proconsul. In Luke Acts, there are times when there are people, in fact, a lot of times, people of authority and power are confronted, some of whom do not respond, others who do. It's God's business who's converted. Did you know that? It's our business to preach the gospel. It's God's business who believes it. And God's business is also, he still does signs, we're not claiming to be a prophet saying now this is going to happen to you but God heals people God works mighty in mighty ways still God hasn't changed and there are people that see something God does that prompts them to believe the message of the gospel it still happens and I know that and the Holy Spirit doesn't need us to make grand pronouncements of things that never happen to help him See, the problem with the signs and wonders movement is they think that God wants to do all kinds of signs and wonders, but he can't because we're a bunch of clots that don't have enough faith. So God's handicapping; he, He's just trying to do signs and wonders, but he can't, he can't, he can't. And so they think they send out, that's why I get this Todd Bentley emails because he's always, he has a course now that you can take for a year to learn how to do miracles. And as I said a long time ago, if you can take a course to learn how to do a miracle and predict the miracle and produce it, it's no longer a miracle, it's a natural occurrence. It's like taking a course on how to boil water and you put it on a stove and it boils and you call it a miracle. Okay? So if it's truly a work of God, I heard that. No, I'm not. We're not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Weirdest night nice comment. <laughs> Anyhow, the point is, uh, it's interesting when I've had to respond on emails. People claiming I'm quenching the spirit. Which how can you do that when you preach the gospel every Sunday? The Holy Spirit is angry that the gospels preached. What are they talking about? Well. I'm correcting the false prophets, and therefore the Holy Spirit's unhappy with that. But here we see God correcting a false prophet. If God does miracles according to his will, which we're going to see in the scriptures, he does, he will. It's our job to preach the gospel. We're not keeping God from doing miracles by being faithful to the scriptures, I'm not saying God doesn't do miracles. I know he does. I've seen him do so. So there are these things that happen. Now, notice it said that he'd been amazed here. That's the theme, and you see that term used quite a bit in the Gospels, including in Luke Acts. And this is probably an echo of Luke 4. We've been there recently. Remember Luke 4 when Jesus begins his public ministry by going into the synagogue of Nazareth and proclaiming the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 in their hearing. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, which also is exactly what John the Baptist said in another passage as we just looked at it. But in Luke 4, verse 32, it said, they were amazed at his teaching for his message was with authority. His message was with authority. And the authority that we have as witnesses is not based on our personal gravitas. If I could use that. I think that's a Latin word. Is that Latin? I don't know. It's used in English. They're like a movie star said to have Gravitas. They walk into the room and everybody goes, wow, or the president or whoever it might be. Now, we don't need to hire makeup artists and PR people to create gravitas for the preacher. In some of our cases, it would be a very difficult job anyhow. (laughs) But uh, the point is this. Uh, the 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 fact that somebody has a massive building or a, a football stadium filled or uh a lot of salary or a lot of anything isn't gravitas the this amazement about authority is grounded in the truth and power of Christ and the inspiration of the holy spirit okay so What has gravitas, if I might use that term, is the truth of the gospel. An ordinary little old preacher with nothing going for him that truthfully preaches the gospel has the sort of authority that people were amazed about. And I'm, I'm saying that to encourage each of you what has gravitas is the truth of the gospel, and every single believer has that and can share it. Yes, uh, Eric. Bob,
1: do you uh, know what Greek term that is for amazed? Is that the thumazo? Is it
0: amazed? Uh, is in this case echelaso. I, I know, Okay, so there's another one. Yeah, yeah. There's two. There's there's two. There's synonyms. There.
1: Yeah. Well, what's so interesting there is? Notice that he isn't amazed about the miraculous blinding. He's amazed at the teaching of the Lord, and that just ties into what Bob is saying: is the amazement and the fear has to do with the content of the gospel. You see this, for example, in Jesus' miraculous deeds. Remember, they're on the lake, Lake Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee. And this huge storm comes up, and they're all fearful. The disciples are in the boat. Well, then Jesus, remember, he's asleep. He's truly man. He's asleep, and he's in the back of the boat. Well, the next moment, they say, well, don't you care about us? next moment, he shows his divinity. He shows that he's divine. Why? Because he stands, and he says, peace be still. And it says, they say, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? And it says they were amazed. Now, yeah. they're more fearful of Jesus than they were of the storm. And what's interesting here is these guys, this proconsul. He's more amazed about the teaching of the Lord, the
0: content of the gospel,
1: than the miraculous deed that was just the, the, done. Yeah,
0: the sign the proved sign is, yeah. that Jesus' uh, gospel is true. That Paul's message yes. was the true one. Amen. And that Jesus' message was false. Amen. And that Paul could audibly make this statement of judgment, and it happened, put God's imprimatur on Paul's message. And that amazed the pro so that he believed the gospel. The context, now let me get that word for you here. See my nose. Eke leso. Or ek? Yeah, no, eke leso. Yeah, that's right. And it's used for the gospel for a response to the mighty works of God through Christ found 13 times in the New Testament all in the gospels other than this one time in Acts. And so there are samples from Luke where, in another case, Luke 9.42, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Okay, so the amazement comes from seeing the mighty deeds of God done through Christ. Yes, over here, yes, Brian. Yeah, just to tie off of what Eric was saying about Jesus in the boat as Adam was talking to us
1: on a Wednesday night that ties back to Jonah when there was a great storm and they threw Jonah into the, <laughs> into the ocean. We see that God calms the storm again. And they don't fear the storm anymore, but they fear Yahweh. So it's kind of showing the divinity of, of Christ again in Ryan, well said. in, in uh, Job, the question is, who is this alone who can trade, tread down the waves of the sea? Well, it's Yahweh. Well, because Jesus can do it, who is he? He's Yahweh. And that was, by the way, one of my concerns with Barack Obama. Remember this, the campaign speech he gave in 2008 was when he's elected, the seas were going to recede. Well, that's a claim to deity. Yahweh controls the seas. Jesus controls the seas. Why? Because he's, he's Yahweh. Yeah. So yeah.
0: And, I want, and also knowing how the Jewish people understood things, they were deathly afraid of the sea. Now, Eric's talked about that at the end where it says there is no more sea. American hears that and doesn't like it. Well, I want a beachfront property. (laughs) Okay, Americans go put their fancy house right out there where if there's a hurricane, it's going to destroy it. And they say, well, don't worry. The government will give me a new house. But see, the Jews don't think that way. They're afraid of it. And one of the things that amazed me when I was in Israel 1983, and we went across the lake, Galilee, they called it a the sea, they were so scared because they thought they'd die at the sea. And they were worried if they died at sea, what would happen at the resurrection? The, the, the body is going to be desecrated in the sea, and that's where the devils and the demons are, in the sea. And so they, they're not going to build... See, if you take any lake in Minnesota... House, 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 house. Everywhere. And they're building more houses. Then they build great big ones behind those so they can see down. We can't get close enough to it. And that's just the way Minnesotans are. But in Israel, the sea is like the devil. It's evil. Stay away from it. Go away. And uh, there is no more sea. So they were deathly afraid. So the point here, why am I saying that? Because if Jesus can in the sea, and, or in Jonah, if somebody can be saved out of the sea, their worst fear was to die at sea. Later in Acts, remember the story of the shipwreck? Where Paul is speaking for God and they're saved? Okay, and he, he, they were rescued at sea. That was the greatest. If God can save you from the sea, he can save you from anything. Yes, well, and
3: I This all goes makes me think back to Acts 4.13 when um, it says that now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus.
0: And they were astonished. God can use an ordinary person who speaks the words of God truthfully. And so there were punishments, there were signs, and there's a conversion. Yes, Jessica?
5: I just wanted to bring out, too, you know, original audience for the book of Acts would have had a lot of Greek people in it. And the Greeks had a greater fear of the sea than even the Jews did. And the worst possible thing that could ever happen was you would die at sea. There is no hope for you if you die at sea.
0: They don't want that. Um,
5: Well, and Poseidon was the worst of their gods, and you don't want to fall into his hands, and he is the sea god. And they had such strict um, burial requirements. If your body wasn't handled perfectly, you had no hope for the afterlife, and so for them, for this original audience receiving um, the words of Luke, this would have been just astounding. It, we, we don't see how powerful this would be. And then as I was listening to this, I was thinking back to Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. When We see it as a miracle, but when you consider their great fear of the sea it took a lot of faith to walk through that part. You don't of get in
0: that situation.
5: So it, it just once we understand the mindset of the ancient world, it really helps kind of bring out some of these thank things.
0: Thank you, thank you, Jessica. That's a, that's a very good point, and that helps explain later in Acts in a different context where they are on a ship and there's a shipwreck. Yeah. And so, if God can save you from that, He can save you from anything. Like I said, we've got to know this from the Bible. Minnesotans don't think that way. (laughs) We may be almost too dumb. Remember back when, now we're giving away Minnesota here, but back when smelt was a big deal up in Duluth in the spring, every single year a smelt run, guys would go down there and drink too much beer and get in some chest-eye waders and go out into the raging river off of Lake Superior and get swept out to sea and die. It happened every year. If any of you old enough, remember when that used to happen? So they could get a bucket of smelt. And then they'd run ahead in the paper. All this guy fell in and he went out there. And then they got to try to find his body. Chest high waders, it occurred. It's not a good thing. Out there you go. But they do it every year because it was worth it to get the little fishies. <laughs> and that's, that's so we need to understand the Bible in its own right. Okay? That God is showing that there's nothing so bad so desperate, so horrifying that he doesn't have power over it. And that the safest place we can be is in the hands of God even if we're in a boat that's threatening to go down. I hope, I hope we get that. That's very important. The pro believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of God, of the Lord. That was thematic. Um, so we have this El, elemus, also by Jesus, was cursed to darkness, and then he ends up in literal darkness because he can't see. But God opens... The spiritually blind eyes of the proconsul, who comes into the light and believes the gospel, and you know later in Acts twenty six eighteen, confer- conversion is characterized as going from darkness to light, from darkness to light. So many times in Luke Acts, some are judged and others saved in the context of one event. In fact, that is a theme that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. When the plagues came upon Egypt, some were saved and some were judged. The gods of the Egyptians were judged. The ones who obeyed Yahweh and put blood on their doorpost were passed over. And so, Anytime there's a cataclysmic event, there will be some saved and some judged. Yes, Brian. A little plug for your CIC articles. You did write an article on that, you know. Yeah, I think I did. did I've got about 150 articles. I don't remember what I wrote. Every once in a while, I read one.
5: It's
0: the Mishnah one. The Mishnah. Yes, that's it. I remember that one. The, The title is Dining with the King. Yeah. So... Yeah, the, you know, the real heart and soul of that article on Mishnah in the context of the Lord's Supper, remember Paul said you're drinking judgment to yourself? Because at uh, if God throws a banquet, it could be good or it could be bad. Okay, and you go back in the Old Testament, remember? Esther, Mordecai, and uh, Haman. And the guy full of pride is thinking... What should I do with the one the king wants to honor? Oh, it's me. And he, he came up with this grandiose thing he wanted done, honor him and put him in the royal chariot and put the royal clothes on him. And he said, oh, go do that for Mordecai the Jew. And Haman gets hanged on the gallows, right? Did he get hanged on the gallows that he had set aside? So I, I think in the article I wrote, people say, we need a mighty move of God. We want to, we want the. God's present to come right in. Well, that's, that's good, but be careful what you're wishing for. Because when that happens, some are damned and some are saved. And the ones that are saved are often unexpected ones that we wouldn't think about. That's what happened in Corinth. The people that were the nobodies, the non-elite, were excluded from the banquet the people, the powers that be, were having a banquet, lavish banquet and excluding some of the body of Christ and Paul said you're in danger of eating and drinking damnation unto yourself. The body that wasn't rightly discerned wasn't the, the, the bread or the wine, it was the people or the body of Christ. So if you want to read that article. Uh, so, lightness to dark. In Acts 26:18, let's at least get started here. We've got a few minutes. So then Paul is going to go to sea. Remember, the sea was a dangerous place. And now Paul, in verse 13 and his companions, put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga. They arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on a Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Well, let me do a little, I don't know what it looks like there. Here's Cyprus, and there, Selmas and Paphos on the island of Cyprus. They had come from the other Antioch, which is an important Roman city. I don't know if you can see that or not. Maybe you have a printout. Cyprus. It's on the printout. I forgot to bring my little laser pointer. Okay, so there's the island. As Eric pointed out in one of his sermons about civil government, remember one of the in God's providence. All these things happened during a period known in history as Pax Romana. And why? And by the way, if you didn't hear that sermon, you got to hear Eric's sermon on that. It was fantastic. Uh, God's ordained to civil governments and how he rules his own universe. Now, what, what do you, when did you do that? What was the name of it? Um, the, the role of, I
1: don't even remember what the,
0: the name of, it was about a month ago? We, we did
1: radio on it. We did some podcasts. Oh, well, we did radio
0: it. on it. Yeah, so I haven't good. edited the radio yet. Yeah. Okay, there's radio coming, too. Anyhow, how God rules his universe. So why this is amazing in God's providence is that Pax Romana, the, the system of government that had been instituted by Rome, included a very civil, a very well-organized civil governments. They had... Imperial provi- provinces and senatorial ones—is that right? One the emperors in charge of, and the senators. Luke gets all the names right, by the way. Like the proconsul, what kind of a province that was or territory? They had the Greek language was unifying the known world, um, and they had a system of government that meant. Travel was safer than it would have been otherwise. Where there was enough civil authority keeping people from being killed every time they tried to go somewhere. And they also had a system of travel where they could get on a ship and go here and go there. So God used that particular time to make it possible for the gospel to go throughout that part of the world, and become established as the Christian faith. We have a similar time now, I think, because of the internet. And it's pretty easy now, without actually leaving your office, to take the gospel all over the world. I, I know that, Jessica, you can talk to our daughter about that, who who runs critical issues commentary for us, you would not believe how many people I'm able to share the gospel with all over the world because they find that one certain article is the one they tend to find about Satan and demons. And I always use it (coughs) to share the gospel. And people have come to Christ and they're looking to be discipled and taught all over the world. And so, what we, one thing we can learn from these travels is that God does want us to use what's available to get the gospel out. Use the technology, use the travel, if you can do that. However it's possible, God wants the gospel to go everywhere. And also, I want you to know this. God is not upset that humans are multiplying on the earth. <laughs> because I, we're being told by politicians that that's evil. But why would, why would God not be upset that humans are multiplying on the earth? Well, if you read Genesis, of course. Because uh, even though it's just a remnant, these are people, some of whom, if we get the gospel to them, will populate heaven we shouldn't be against people as Christians because humans are created in the image of God. Pagans don't distinguish between animals and humans. Okay? And so they were pagans are against more humans because it threatens the animals when there's humans. Have you, is that right? Okay? And you see all these ads on TV you know, to pull it at your heart. Well, but what about humans? Why, why do they want babies aborted? Well, humans are created in the image of God. We don't need more of them. They're a problem. No, I'm not anti-animal. I'm just saying, let's get a biblical worldview. And it's humans who are to care for and take care of the rest of the creation. The universe doesn't take care of us. We are here to care for are part of terra firma. So the travel is good. The ability to communicate is good. And it could be used for evil, good, either good or evil. The bard Jesus can get his message all over the world, or Paul can get his. We've got to decide which one's important to us. And this is where we're going to be going. I'm I, Sorry I didn't bring my laser pointer, but from the island they're going to land here and end up at the top there. You have a little map in your printout Which is Pisidian Antioch, which is near Galatia. There's a letter to the Galatians, and that is a different Antioch than the one Paul left for. So that's where they're going to be going. So if I can, I got to remember where I was supposed to be here. Verse 13. Somebody, maybe I'll better make a notation. Start with verse 13. Next Sunday. Well, thank you for the spirited discussion. What did we learn? Let's summarize. The Holy Spirit causes boldness for the gospel. The devil brings darkness and opposes the, the gospel. It's really quite simple when you get down to it. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and mercy that you've shown us. And we pray for Eric as he's going to preach your word to us. Pray for all the people, the families, that the gospel would be on our lips as we go forth in your name, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, dear ones.